Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to read a specific scripture as we continue along the lines of our helper, the Holy Spirit. And um, this is actually from Psalm 63:2, Psalm chapter 63 and verse 2. To see your power and your glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Hallelujah. Can you show me the amplified of that? So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. You know, a lot of times people mistakenly believe that power is random, that the power of God is just randomly occurring. Wow, and it's shocking, and it's like a lightning strike. That lightning strike catches people off guard. They weren't expecting it. They, they are awed at the display of that power as the lightning courses through the sky. And a lot of times people think that's why the power of God is moving in a church service. They think it's like a lightning strike and it's something random. But the power of God moves precisely. God's power is not random. If the power of God moves in a service, somebody has accurately connected to the power. If you've ever heard testimony of how the ministry of Smith Wigglesworth would operate. There would be times that that people would say, uh, well, what if the Spirit of God doesn't move? And he said, if the Spirit doesn't move, I'll move the Spirit. He, he was saying, I know how to connect to the power. Amen. We're not sitting around in a service just waiting on God to move. We're coming and we're bringing our connectors of faith. We're bringing our supply of worship and we are connecting to the power. So we see that it says, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. You know, in, in this city, the power is not randomly going to different houses. It is very precisely sent from a substation and directed through the power lines into everyone's houses. But there is a place where the power is coming from. It's coming from that substation where all of the power is being generated and then being distributed to the houses that are connected, to the lives that are connected. The church is the substation for the power of God. So for God's power to have a 
continual operation in my life, I need to have a connection to the substation, to the, the, where the power is being generated and flowing out. Amen. So the church is God's power distribution center. The church is God's power distribution center. He wants us all to come in and connect to the power and then live our lives connected to his power. And so when we come to church, we are not coming just to attend. The Bible doesn't talk about attending. It talks about assembling. That's a connection term. An assembly, if you, if you have Legos, you have to assemble them. If you get a new toy for, uh, you know, uh, your grandkid or your, your child for Christmas and it says assembly is required, you know you're going to need tools, right? right? You're going to have to put the pieces together. It's going to need to be assembled. And so church is for the assembling. It's for that connection because when we come together... There is a supply that of a greater measure than just what we experience in the individual aspect of our lives. When, when we begin to see maturity in a believer, it's very much like the perception that changes for a child. Let's say you have a child whose father is a general over uh, uh, the armed forces. And at home, he sees his father you know, flipping his pancakes and putting the the smiley face with the syrup on his pancakes. But then when he sees his father on the field and he sees hundreds or thousands of soldiers under his command, he recognizes his father from a different perspective. And when we began to see, when we first are growing in our walk with God, we often only look at God or at Jesus from that individual perspective. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. Yes, He is, but He's King of kings and He's Lord of lords. And he's the, God is the creator of the universe. He is the God of the, army, the angel armies. He, he, I, when you began to grow and you began to see the body of Christ... You'll, it's a maturity. Right. When you begin to see this is not just about me individually, but this is about the body of Christ, that, that God has a bigger picture. There's a panoramic viewpoint that God's looking at. And I began to see that the power of God operating in the church as God's distribution of his power, the power of God is not just for my life, but it's for your life. It's not just important that I connect to the power, but it's important that I help you connect to the power, that, that you have power working in your life too. And so in Acts chapter 2, we see an, a picture of this gathering together. Now, when we begin to read in Acts, we see the importance of the body of Christ because um, they're, they're coming together, they're gathering together, they're, they're assembling together was, uh, was, was connecting them. 
I mean, when you think about in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John had been beaten for preaching in the name of Jesus and threatened not to preach in that name anymore, they went back to their own company and they prayed a prayer that shook heaven. They prayed a prayer, Lord, grant unto your servants boldness. And they received a a supernatural infilling and that moment of boldness. But they had also prayed, stretch forth your hand to heal. And in the very next chapter, we see God using the hands of the apostles for the distribution of his power. But what if they hadn't gathered together? What if there was no assembly where they, they connected to the power of God in that, in that corporate gathering? Hallelujah. God's not calling lone rangers. The, the Bible picture for the New Testament church is not long rangers. We see in Old Testament lone rangers. We see Elijah alone. He got a servant helping him. He's got a, a, an armor bearer helping him, but, but he was the one alone. But that's not the New Testament picture. The New Testament picture is the body, the, the corporate body. Why? Because now we have a head, and through that connection to our head, we have a distribution of his power. Now I am connected to Jesus, but I'm not just connected to Jesus because you're connected to Jesus, I'm connected to you. Because you're connected to Jesus, I'm connected to you. And now we have a a flow through the body. Not just a flow through one, but a flow through the body. And that's what God was trying to give an illustration of when he said in the Old Testament, one will put a 1,000 to flight, and two will put 10,000 to flight. He was trying to give you an imagery of what happens in this supernatural connection. So in Acts chapter 2, we see the church is the, uh, having spiritual activity in an atmosphere of unity. I've been praying for unity for over four years now, and I am beginning to see in, my, in, in the ministry specific things, but also in the word, revelation of this, uh, the importance of the unity. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were They were filled with the power as the Holy Spirit came upon them. We know that because Jesus said that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power. Hallelujah. This is the power coming to the body. They were gathered 
They were assembled. They were connected. They were having spiritual activity in in an atmosphere of unity. And that's what happens every time we assemble. God said, wherever two or more shall gather together in my name. Jesus said, if you gather together in my name, I'm there. I'm in your midst. Why? Because in that connection, in that unity, there is an atmosphere for manifestation at a, at a different level. He can definitely minister to us in our homes. He can definitely. I, I, I want the glory to always be in my home. I want the peace in my home. And we, we need to have atmosphere of God in our home. But when we come together, we need to expect uh, the power surge. We need to expect that we're charging up. Amen. Amen. Why? Because we're gathering together according to the design of our, our, our Lord. We're gathering together and joining with his body. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when it's talking about the importance of communion, he said, because people were not properly discerning the body of Christ. They were not properly discerning. Well, yes, he was talking about the manner in which you receive the broken body and the shed blood, but what was the issue he was dealing with in their church? What was the issue that he was really dealing with about the way that they were having communion? He said, you're showing preference to people. You're showing respect of persons because somebody has more money and they're bringing better food to the Lord's Supper. So what was the real issue was the way they were treating one another. They weren't discerning that you're the body of Christ just like I am. You're blood-bought too. Amen? Amen. So because they weren't discerning the body correctly, they weren't accessing the supply in the body correctly. And that's why people think church is something they can give or take. You know, I checked yesterday when all the snow and everything was coming in. I came in early because I I saw the snow was coming. I was going to fly in on Saturday, but I I changed my plans and drove in on Friday to miss the snow because I'm going to be here with you. Amen? Amen. But I I saw that and I thought, I wonder how many churches are going to close today. Chiefs football is going on. They didn't cancel their game. I thought, you know what? McDonald's is going to be open. Why isn't church going to be open? Amen? Why? Because I'm discerning the importance of our gathering. I'm discerning the importance. I'm recognizing there's something more important about our assembling. There's something that God has has granted us the privilege of having this family. There are a lot of people who'd love to have a church family like you have. Who'd love to have a pastor like we have. There's a lot of people, they don't, they don't realize always the importance of that connection until you've got to walk something. And I, I look at things and I think, how do people handle this without a church family? How do people go through certain things without a pastor? Amen? Because we need each other. We need each other because we're the body of Christ. So in this... We see the power, this is a New Testament pattern for the local church. The power 
came to be distributed in this act, spiritual activity in an atmosphere of unity and the, the power of God. Let's look at Psalm 133. Psalm 133. I am, I am talking about the Holy Spirit, but we're looking at him uh, from an aspect of him being the uh, distribution of God's power in the church. Jesus said, you shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Psalm 133, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This is more than just getting along without arguing. Unity requires a unity of vision. Unity requires singleness of purpose. That's an that's a Acts chapter uh, uh, 3 or 4 term, singleness of purpose. They gather together with singleness of purpose. Unity is, is about synchronization. Have you ever watched like a drill team? And, and maybe it's, it's one of the high school drill teams on the field during uh, halftime or something. And what's impressive is how they march together. It, it's impressive their unity, how synchronized they are in the steps that they're taking. Pastor Ron told me that in the Marines, uh, they they explained the reason that they taught them to march together in one step. Because if you're marching together in one step, the enemy can't tell how many different foot steps are being taken. They just hear one step. Amen? The synchronization of, of, of the vision and the movement is that we're moving in unison. And so as I've prayed for unity, I see, first of all, if we all get in unity with God, if we're all synchronized with his pace, with his moving, with, with what he's leading us to do, we will automatically fall into place together when we move together. Nobody will be elbowing you in the face. And, 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 and when they should be moving left, they're moving right. No, because if we're all in synchronization with God, we're moving together with him. And that means we're all moving together at the same place in our place. Amen. And so how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard even. Oh, now we know whose anointing we're talking about. He's talking about the high priest anointing. Aaron's beard would be the high priest. So it's like the high priest's anointing. Well, who's your high priest? He's my high priest too. We have the same high priest. So in the place of unity is where the anointing upon our head, our high priest flows because it flows not just upon the head, Notice it says upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, it goes down to the skirts of his garment. So his entire, this wasn't just a little touch of anointing on his head. This was a saturation of the anointing that covered the whole body. And the anointing on Jesus is intended to flow throughout the body. And the way for it to flow is unity. 
the way for the anointing to grow in the body is for us to get in synchronization and for us to have a unity of the spirit. The bond of unity is the love of God. God's love is the bond of unity. This synchronization is, is not something that you just, it just happens. You've got to practice it. You've got to assemble together and practice unity. You've got to assemble together and, and, and learn how to flow with the Spirit of God. We're, we're, we are so privileged to have a pastor who demonstrates how to move with the Spirit of God. I have watched him over the years, and in the beginning, I would just, I would ask him after church, how did you know to do that? How did you know to stop when you stopped and walk over and say to that person? And he would explain it. He would take the time, and he said, sometimes it drops down in front of me like a ticker tape, and I just see the words in front of me, and I just read. Sometimes it'll be just a picture. He was sitting here one day, and uh, the Lord, I, I remember it specifically because the Lord had him go to uh, Daryl's cousin and give him a specific, uh, you were sitting in your house, and you said this, and you, the chair was orange, and the, you know, whatever. He was giving such, like, colored details of the chair that the, the man was sitting in. And I'm like, how did you know that? He said, I just saw it. I saw a picture of it. I want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. I want to know because I don't want to be left out. I want to, if, I want to have a supply. That helped that young man. That, he ministered to him. That young man gave his life to Jesus and got saved. Praise God. It ministered to him. I want to, to have that same accuracy, but a lot of people don't have it. And a lot of people... A lot of people aren't familiar with how the Holy Spirit will move. And so when they see the Holy Spirit move, they think they need to stop. Shut that down. Don't let that happen. And there are churches all across the, the world that won't let the Holy Spirit have any operation in their services. And they say, we don't want to offend newcomers. So the spirit who is here to bring in the harvest is going to offend the harvest? He's going to do something to hurt the harvest? No. This unity is not just unity amongst each other, but it's our, our unity with him, our learning to flow together with God. And every church service is a practice session where we gain skill about how to operate in his power. Every church service is a practice session, praise God, where we gain skill in operating in his power. So Jesus is the head and he gave specific instructions to us in John concerning the relationship we would have with the Holy Spirit after the cross and what he accomplished on the cross. And he said in John 14 and verse 17, 
The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. We know this is true for every believer. The Holy Spirit lives in the heart of every believer. Even believers who don't speak in tongues still have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. John 4 is the example Jesus gave of the Holy Spirit living in us. He referred to the Holy Spirit as a well of living water. Look at John 4. We're looking at the pattern that Jesus gave us, the picture, the imagery that he gave us to understand how the Holy Spirit's going to work in our lives. 14 of chapter 4. Whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him, in him, in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This is the, the picture of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He is a supply of water for my individual life. He is a supply of life, of living water for my life. Because of His indwelling, I have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 is connected to the indwelling the presence of God living in me because he lives in me. I have the love of God, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith. All of those are characteristics of his life in me. I am indwelt with the Spirit of God. So Jesus said he shall be in you. Romans chapter 8 says the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and if he dwells in you he will quicken your mortal body so he dwells in me it says it twice in this in this same chapter glory to god he said in verse 11 if in verse 9 you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of god dwell in you verse 11 but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Three times dwells in you. He lives in you. Greater is he that is in me. He lives in me. Praise God. He lives in us. Know ye not that you are the temple. We read that in, in our previous teaching along this subject you are the temple of God hallelujah the word temple is the word naos from 1st Corinthians chapter 3 or uh, 6 19 the temple you are the temple it's the word naos and it refers to the holy of holies so in the old testament they had to put the holy of holies in a tent behind a curtain and only one priest, the high priest, could enter in. And he had to enter in with the sacrifice of blood. He didn't get to come in when he wanted to. He only had a specific time when he could come in, a specific way that he could come in. And he entered into the Holy of Holies with fear and trembling. 
but you are now the holy of holies. You are the naos, the temple of God, the holy of holies, because the spirit of God dwells in you. He's not in a tent behind a curtain. He's in your spirit, in your heart. You are alive unto God, and the spirit of God lives in you. Hallelujah. What does he do? He teaches me. He guides me into all truth. He shows me things to come. He takes everything that belongs to Jesus and shows it to me. He demonstrates it to me. He rehearses it to me. And Jesus said, all things that the Father has are mine. And that's why I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will take all that is mine and show it to you, announce it to you, declare it to you, rehearse it to you. The Holy Spirit lives in me because I need his help. He is a paraclete. The word paraclete, when it says comforter, it says in the Hebrew language, it's such a, or the Greek language, it's such a powerful word. It means he is called alongside to help. But that calling is just as holy as the calling to any fivefold ministry, and even more so. It is a divine calling from God. God has called the Holy Spirit with a, with a holy calling to help you. That's his, his primary calling on the earth is to help the church, to help the body of Christ, help us in our personal life. But that's not all. Remember, we're looking for maturity. I'm not just looking for what pertains to me. I'm looking for the panoramic view. I want to see what is important to God. God is, is interested in the body. He's interested in the church family. And so we are the temple and the Holy Spirit lives within us. We see that. But John chapter 7, Jesus spoke of another interaction with the Spirit of God that He desires for us to receive. In John chapter 7, He is standing as they are performing a ceremony of the the pouring out of the waters. And they would climb the, the steps and they would sing from the Psalms of Ascension and they would take the water representing uh, the drink offering and it would be a ceremony uh, because of the mighty men who went and got the water for David and brought him the water and then poured out the water when David, they brought it to him because he thirsted for a drink from the wells of Bethlehem. And he said, how can I drink something you gave your life, you risked your life to bring to me? So I'm giving it as an offering to the Lord. And so in the midst of this ceremony, Jesus stands up. He's not invited to be a speaker at the ceremony. But Jesus stands up in the middle of the ceremony and, and redirects everyone's attention and says, I just want you to know that I am the drink offering. I am the one sent. I am the drink offering. And I am the water that's going to be poured out. And in the midst of this, he said, If any man, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers 
of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because, why? Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, that makes sense why Peter pointed that out in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. What you see in here, what did they see in here? They saw people under the influence of the Holy Spirit. What did they hear? They heard them speak in tongues. He said, what you're seeing and hearing is what God spoke about in Joel when he said in the last days he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh because Jesus has been glorified and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He goes through and he preaches Jesus and he said, that same Jesus that you crucified is now glorified and seated at the right hand and he has poured out what you're seeing and hearing. So Jesus was talking about the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit in John 7 versus the indwelling of the Spirit in John 4. In John 4, he refers to a well, but in John 7, he refers to rivers of living water. Rivers, and then specifically, he spoke this concerning the Holy Spirit who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came after Jesus was seated. I think I need to show you because it's not just, I need you to know where to point people to if you have to tell them. Go to Acts and let's look at chapter 2. I need you to know where to find it. He says in Acts chapter 2, he begins, the, the people come because they are watching the disciples who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They are acting like drunk men because they're under the influence of the Spirit. And they're speaking in tongues and they, the people realize there's no way that they could know how to speak my language, but I'm understanding what they're saying even though if they don't know how to speak my language. Right. What were they saying? They were glorifying God in other tongues. Hallelujah. And it was a witness. It was a witness. And then the preaching... He begins to preach about Jesus. He preaches what I said in, in verse 17. He quotes from Joel. And he comes down through here. But I want you to look specifically at verse 30. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, talking about David, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before Christ of the resurrection of Christ, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. What did they hear? They heard them speak in tongues. And he said, this is the promise of the Father. This is the promise of the Father. Same thing Jesus said. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon, upon, upon you. 
did it say the Holy Spirit set upon them in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit set upon them? The tongues of fire set upon them? He said, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Now, he said in John, 4, in John 14, he will be in you. But now he's saying, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued. The word endued means to put on like a coat. You need to be clothed. You endued, put on like a jacket, put on like a garment until you be endued with power. He said, tarry until you be endued with power. Look at Acts 1, verse 8. Oh, five, four. Being assembled together with them, commanded them. This is the same conversation, just one was in Luke and one is here in Acts. So we're seeing different aspects of the conversation. It's the conversation before he ascends and he tells them specifically, you need the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. You need, wait for the promise of the Father. Now nobody is ever told to wait after Acts chapter 2. There is never another instance where they are instructed to wait. It says, have you received? And then they prayed for them to receive after Acts chapter 2. We see uh, uh, the example when uh, Peter and uh, John were sent to pray in Samaria with the people in Philip's revival. He came and he says, have you received? They, They prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So never again were they praying that God would send the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been poured out. That's why we're not praying, send the rain, Lord, or send the Holy Spirit, send him on down. He's like, hello, I'm here. And that's, that's important because if people are waiting for him, if you want to tell them to wait, buy them a ticket because they're supposed to wait in Jerusalem. We're not supposed to wait anymore. And we don't have to be in Jerusalem anymore. He said, you wait. Well, the day of Pentecost has fully come and the Holy Spirit has been poured out and he is now available to whosoever will. He gets up and he's preaching in Acts chapter 2 and he says, what you see and hear is the promise of the Father and it's unto you and to your children. Jesus said here in Acts chapter 1, he said, wait He says, the promise of the Father, verse 5, for John truly baptizes with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he was telling them, I know the timeline. Not many days from now, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Upon, baptize means to immerse in. You will be endued with power. Verse 8, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in all Judea. So we have the Holy Spirit in us, but it's not considered fullness until I have him not only in me, but also on me. And every, every example in the New Testament is an example that leads us 
to see that if they did not have someone praying in tongues, they sent somebody to help them get and receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen. They, immediately when Paul shows up there in Ephesus and encounters that group of 12 disciples who have been learning under the apostle John's teaching or, or John the Baptist's teaching, he said to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? That was, his, that was number one question on his mind. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, what? What Holy Spirit? We don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And he said, what baptism are you baptized under? And they said, John's baptism. And he preached Jesus to them. And they received Jesus and were baptized in Jesus' name. And they received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues and prophesy. The Holy Spirit had just come upon them and the gifts are moving among them. Hallelujah. So the emphasis for our life, we're talking about the body. Jesus has given us the pattern. He said, I want you to have the well and I want you to have the rivers. I want you to have the Holy Spirit living in you. You will receive the Holy Spirit living in you when you're born again. And he's going to teach you. He'll guide you into truth. The things that I haven't been able to share with you, he's going to share with you. Things I have said, he's going to remind you of them. He's going to guide you into all truth. He'll show you things to come. He'll lead you. He, he'll be just like I was with you. He is another comforter just like me. He would say what I would say. He would respond the way I would respond. He would teach you the way I would teach you. He is going to do exactly what I would do in every situation. He is another comforter just like me. Another strengthener, another standby, another guide, another counselor, another coach just like me. And the same way that Jesus was there as a power supply, the Holy Spirit is here as a power supply. If, if Jesus said, hey, let's turn this water into wine. Hey, let's multiply the fish and the loaves. The Holy Spirit says, hey, just bless that bread and let me multiply it. Why? Because he's the miracle worker. When God said, when Jesus said, you shall receive power, one of the definitions from the Strong's Concordance is you shall receive the worker of miracles when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He is the worker of miracles. And he is in a knee, but he is, his, his operation of power is brought into my life when he comes upon me. So we are instructed for both. Now, I'm, I wanted to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. And I want you to, to see God's heart for the reason he put the manifestation of his gifts in, in our lives. The manifestation of the spiritual gifts, they are for the edifying of the body. And so if a person thinks, I want to operate those gifts to make myself validated, to make me feel important, to make me look important, they will not have the same effectiveness as someone who has the right motive and says, I want to operate the gifts so the body can be edified. And I want you to look at these scriptures with that in mind. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, first of all. <clears throat> Verse 1. Now concerning spiritual 
brethren. The word gifts is italicized. It's not in the original language. Brother Hagen brought out, and I believe it came from uh, his, uh, Dr. Young's teachings. It says, concerning uh, uh, spirituals, things pertaining to the spirit. Things pertaining to the spirit is a proper Greek definition of that. Concerning things pertaining to the spirit, brethren, I would not have you ignorant or lacking knowledge. He desires for us to recognize and cooperate with his moving. It should not be strange to us and it should not be foreign. And and the more we bring an interest and a desire and a cooperation, the more he can move amongst us. In ways, listen, for the edifying of the body. We don't want God to move just to entertain us. I'm not looking for him to entertain me. Oh, I just want God to move. I want God to move because I can't help you without him. I'm not your help without his help. Right? And and if we come in here with the desire, we we want to first of all minister to God. Our worship is about him. Our coming together and our joining together is about Him. Our assembling is about Him. If that's our motive, then, then He's got our attention. Amen. But then when we're here, I want you to get what you need to get from Him. So notice it says, concerning spiritual things pertaining to the Spirit, I don't want you lacking knowledge. Now let's pick it up here in verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. He's talking about things pertaining to the Spirit. And he's talked about gifts. He's talked about administrations. He's talked about operations. These are all things pertaining to the Spirit. So that's why... It's important not just to limit just to gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, but all of the flows of the Spirit, the, the administrations of the Spirit. The, the, you know, when, um, brother, when Pastor Goodwin and Brother Hagen would be in meetings together, they would determine before the meeting service which one was going to interpret the service. Brother Hagen said that Pastor Goodwin was the most accurate man he had ever seen in being able to interpret what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in that service. When I say interpret the service, he would, go, he would know what the, how the Holy Spirit wanted to move. Amen. And if one of them had a tongue, the other would interpret it. Amen. Hallelujah. They, they had developed a skill in the administrations of the Spirit. Be- and here's, here's what, why we need to have an administration of the Spirit. Because the Corinthian church had a lot of spiritual activity, but they were getting off. They were becoming out of balance with things of the Spirit. And so 1 Corinthians 12 And 13 and 14 
is correcting. It is a conversation to correct the areas they were out of balance in because they wanted to get into services and just speak in tongues all service. And he said, that is not going to edify the church because I would I speak in tongues more than you all, but I would rather speak five words. Uh, I would rather speak uh, to you in English. He said that I might ten thousand. He said I would rather speak five words with my understanding than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Why? Because nobody's going to be edified if there's not an interpretation to all those tongues. And so when we read from these verses, we're reading his correction to their areas of the, where they were out of balance. We get a lot of in, insight that we can apply as a result. But there does need to be an administration of the flow of the Spirit in the church. So we don't want to... A lot of the reasons why people won't allow the Holy Spirit is because they don't know... They they think it's wildfire. They think that we don't know how to control that. Well, we're not controlling it, but we recognize what he wants to do. And we recognize if somebody gets out of balance, that there is a responsibility of the pastor to correct it. If we're walking in love, we're not going to have pride get in the way if we miss it. If we're walking in love, we can be corrected. I had a a woman in uh, stand up in the service, and um, under the guise of speaking for God, she said, thus saith the Lord, and she said something that was corrective to something that there was a, a... a gentleman who had made, he was giving a testimony and he had made the statement that I'm on a fixed income. And she took it upon herself and she said, thus saith the Lord, your income is not fixed. Something to that effect. Well, I didn't call her out in the service, but I did call her back to my office and I said to her, that was not the Holy Spirit, was it? That was you wanting to correct what you heard him say. So in the future, if you do that again, I will correct you openly. And she said, yes, ma'am, you're right. That was not the Holy Spirit. I started in the Spirit and got over in my flesh. And she repented. But there was another gentleman that stood up in the middle of the service and it was a testimony service. I was letting some people testify. And, and he turned around. He was excited about something. But he turned around and he, he said, and shame on you. And I stopped him openly and publicly. No, no, sir. There's no shame on my people. Do not speak that on these people. And I, I broke those words. Why? Because I couldn't let that go. I could not let that go unanswered. I had to speak. And so there are times... That if there are expressions or, or something, if it's not going to edify the body, it's going to have to either be redirected and some things may need to be corrected and we need to have enough love one for another to know any of us could miss it. Amen. 
And we need to have a holy reverence to, to recognize, okay, if I miss it, I can take correction. Yes. Amen. Amen? But I don't want to hold back from obeying God. And so if I have that desire to edify, if that's my motive, then I'm going to be more accurate. If my desire is to build people up, I'm going to be more accurate. If my desire is to be right, to, to correct something, we had someone uh, 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 try to use a, a word, they, they stepped up and, and, and there was a message that came forth in tongues and this person interpreted it and I just knew right here, that is not God, that is not God. And it was something that went contrary to a statement our pastor had made. And, and I just shut it down and we sang another song. Because there are, there are times that some people may have, have a desire to use that, that instrument or that, that expression of the Holy Spirit for their, their motives or what, for what they think is right doctrinally or whatever. That's not their place. That's not their place, and, and, and I'm pastor enough to stop it <laughs> Amen. because I love you enough not to let that be spit all over you, amen? But at the same time, I want people to be accurate, and I want people to be willing to be used of God and speak some things that can help other people. And so that's why he, he was correcting the church here at Corinth. And he says here, he goes through and he lists the manifestations of the Spirit. And he talks about the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the uh, gift of faith, the gifts of healings, uh, the working of miracles, prophecy, all of these, these nine gifts of the Spirit that are a result of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not all nine will operate in one person. If someone says, I've got all nine gifts of the Spirit, step away. Step away from that person because they don't. Because it says he gives severally as he wills. They're not mine to turn on and off as I choose. If he operates a gift through me, it's my privilege to be used of him. But it's his gifts, not mine. These aren't, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is mine, it's in me. But the gifts of the Spirit can come on me as He wills. Not, it's nothing I can do other than cooperate and yield to Him. And so it says that the Holy Spirit divides to every man severally as He wills. Verse 11, as He wills. So nobody is going to have all nine operating all the time in their ministry. There are certain gifts, five-fold ministry offices that will have operations on a regular basis. The gift of the evangelist is marked by gifts of healings and working of miracles. The, the office of the prophet is marked by a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge and discerning of spirits operating continually in their office because it's part of the equipment that comes with the office. 
But every believer can participate with these gifts if you will yield to the Holy Spirit. Every, every believer, it doesn't have to be the people behind the pulpit ministering in tongues and interpretations. Tongues and interpretations is the mark of the New Testament church. The New Testament church should have tongues and interpretation of tongues regularly. But if you're not praying in tongues at home, it's not going to be very likely that he's going to use you in the, in the sanctuary. Amen. The more I pray at home in the Holy Spirit in my personal life, the more I've opened the door to the supernatural, the more I'm acquainted with him, the more I'm cooperating with him in my personal life. And then when I come in the sanctuary, he's looking for somebody who's been working with him all week. He's looking for somebody he can minister through. And, and so that's one of the important reasons why we don't want to just wait until we gather together to have spiritual activity. I need to be spiritually active at home. I need, to be, I need to be fellowshipping with him and communing with him. And I need to pray in the spirit and build up my most holy faith every day. Amen. Every day. Hallelujah. Why? Because he has empowered me. I don't want to leave that power on the shelf. I don't want to leave this interaction with him as something that's just once or twice a week when I'm gathered together with the church. I want to have my interaction with him regularly and then when I gather together with the church, we're all farther along. We're all built up and charged up and we come in charged up. Amen. We come in charged up and then we're able to be a blessing and then the body's coming together. So he says here, in, he goes through, and then after he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he spends the rest of this chapter talking about the body. Talking about the varying members of the body. That we need all the parts of the body. That there's not any one part that's more important than the other part, even though it may be seen more even though it may be used more, it doesn't make it less or, or more important. And he talks about recognizing the body, that we are members of the body of Christ. And then he, he comes back to talking about the gifts of the Spirit again. He, he goes through all of that discussion about the body, and he says in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and members in particular... And God has set some in the church, first apostles. They were the first ones because there weren't any pastors ready to pastor the churches. They just got saved. All the people just got saved. So it was just the apostles first. And then he set in prophets. And then he set in teachers after that, you began to see that the, the other operations, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, governments. There's the pastor. Diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Have all the gifts of healings? No. Do, do you all speak with tongues? He's talking about speaking in tongues as a public ministry, the, the gift of tongues? No. Why? Because I can't choose that gift to turn it on or turn it off. It's his, as he wills, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts. 
Did he say to, that we should desire them? Do we desire the gifts? I think there's, there's, I think the Holy Spirit's pointing to us and saying, do you, do you desire this like you should? Do you desire these gifts for the reason I want you to desire them? The, the desire, covet earnestly the best gifts. He wants us to desire them. Hallelujah. He goes through the next chapter. Remember, this is all correction for the church at Corinth because they're out of balance. He goes through the next chapter and he says, let me show you the more excellent way. And he talks about love. He says, love is more excellent than speaking in tongues, giving a word in tongues, giving interpretation. Love is more excellent if you had faith that could move mountains. He's talking about the gift of faith. He's talking about what he just discussed in, in the previous chapter about these manifestations of gift. In other words, the manifestations of gift are not what is marking your spiritual maturity. If you have a gift of faith and you can move mountains, but you can't walk in love, you're nothing. Amen. Oh, he said me, right? If I have the gift of faith and I can't, not you, me. Let me talk about me for a minute, right? If I, if I can understand all these, these marvelous things and, and, and word of wisdom and word of knowledge, if I have all of that understanding but I don't have love, I'm missing the mark. I'm, I'm empty of the... So he says this is... In other words, the whole reason we should even want to operate in a gift of the Spirit is to help somebody else. Is love should be our motive. If love is our motive for spiritual gifts, you've already got your safety in place. You know, if you're working with power, you want to be grounded. Amen. You want to have safety, right? Love is the safety mechanism on the power of God. Amen. He wants us to be filled. He wants us to be endued. But he wants it for the edifying of the body. Hallelujah. He says in chapter 14, verse 1, we'll close right here. Follow after charity. So he spent all of 13 talking about love. He said, follow after love and desire spiritual. He wants you to walk in love and the flow of the Spirit for the purpose of love, for the motive of love. I love you enough that I want the power of God to minister to you. I love you enough that I want to be a power supply. So that's more than me just coming to church because of whether I need it or not. I'm coming to church to be a blessing. Amen? To bring a supply. Father, thank you for maturity. Thank you for helping us be accurate in our motive and in our purpose and in the flow of your spirit. Lord, we desire the flow of your Holy Spirit for the purpose of edifying the church, the people of the church. 
that there would be a strengthening every time we come together. That there would be a, an assembling that provides supernatural connections in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stand with me, please.